This is Leadership Letters, the podcast reflecting on and discussing all things leadership. Coming up... There's not many walks of life when you finish a group of people stand up and applaud you. The letting people fail piece. Yeah. Gosh, that's hard. I'm very lucky that I I get to handpick teams in that way. I guess I'm writing this letter to you as a way to hold myself to account in the future. A beautiful letter. Beautiful. I'm going to try and listen more. For me, it's what leadership is all about. Welcome to our latest episode of Leadership Letters. I'm Lizzie Bentley-Bowers. Our guest today, trained at both the Academy of Live and Recorded Arts and East 15, as well as with Complicite and at the National Theatre. He has a long list of theatre credits and off West End nominations. Too long to share with you here, but you can check out his full list of credits in our notes. He has recently been the Artistic Director of Trinity Theatre in Tunbridge Wells in the UK, and he is Associate Director of the West End and UK touring productions of The Play That Goes Wrong, and has directed replica productions in Australia, Russia, South Korea and Spain. If you haven't seen The Play That Goes Wrong, and you could, please go. Go for a great time, but also go perhaps for the opportunity to marvel at the cohesion, trust creativity and engagement of the teams both on and off the stage. There are tons of leadership lessons in there. I think it's extraordinary as well as hilarious. The former drama teacher in me is very aware of how many great leadership lessons there are to be learned, both from the leadership of the classroom and from leadership in the theatre. So for all the reasons I've just shared, I'm thrilled to have the opportunity of talking today to a theatre director on behalf of all of you, the leaders that are listening. So welcome, Sean Turner, to Leadership Letters. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I've been wanting somebody from the theatre world on this podcast since the beginning. So thank you for being here. Before we dive into many questions I've got for you, let me ask you what I always ask, which is how you first became aware that leadership of any kind was something that happened and mattered and impacted you. Gosh, yeah. I, I mean, I guess, I guess uh, the obvious answer is is parents, you know. And I think that probably, you know, I was very lucky to be kind of um, have a very strong leader figure in, in my mother. I think, you know, and she, um, you know, particularly in terms of kind of morality, I guess, and kind of uh, pushing, putting me on the right path. Um, and I think, you know, I, I feel very grateful for that, um, and and that led me to uh, be interested in kind of fostering that in others, I guess. And, well, it's interesting. I think I think you said something along the lines of that that would be where a lot of people would start, but I'm not sure anybody has yet. We hear, really? we hear Yeah, we hear school a lot, and we do hear, oh. um, we do hear about family. But it's it's really wonderful to hear you start there. And, and you've said it shows up in, in your life and the way you lead. Can you tell us more about how that shows up? She always, and you know, my dad too, but um, always kind of a strong set of kind of moral values, which I guess, you know, in a way were were Christian values, you know, but I'm not religious myself and, and neither is my mum particularly, but, you know, she she was brought up um, Christian and, and certainly has always kind of believed in, I guess, kindness and, uh, and uh, you know, treating people well. Um, uh, and and that being a, a way to <laughs> making people like you and listen to you and you know therefore respect you and therefore you know be be willing to be led by you I guess I'm a big fan of 
kindness and kindness in leadership. And and you've just said so many things about what the about the impact of kindness on connection. You know, love that connection between kindness and respect. But and going into some of the things that fascinate me about the kind of ways that you have to lead in the theater, a lot of that, my guess, is to do with how transient the teams you lead are, because even mm-hmm. within a cast or a show that runs for years, that cast will change. Changes. Yeah. So how does how does kindness show up in all the challenges of mm-hmm. leading teams that are as transient as the ones you lead in the theatre? I think it's so interesting that that idea of, of transience being, you know, something that, that's really important in what I do and, and, and in the way that I lead, you know, and uh, I was thinking about it as kind of thinking about doing, doing this podcast and thinking, actually, you know, how good am I at <laughs> leading over a great period of time? I've just finished, you know, a job where I was running a theatre for, for a period of time and, um, and actually, you know, found leading people over, over a longer period of time quite a difficult process but because I'm so used to kind of um, very quickly uh, doing my best to create teams and create bonds um, that kind of everybody in the room knows will only last for, you know, sometimes 12 weeks, sometimes a year, not much more than that generally. Um, and uh, it's something that you kind of, you're all used to and you're all aware of that that pattern. And I think it's so interesting because, I you know, I have so many over the, the, all the years that I've been doing this, I have so many fantastic kind of friendship groups that I've I know these people really intimately because we've spent such an intense time together, not a long time together. Um, And we've kind of, you know, discussed really intimate things, you know, in in order to, to mine characters, to, to explore plays and to make sure that we can tell the story in the best way that we possibly can. But then we kind of, you know, we, we head off (laughs) into our own lives and existence and, you know, maybe we don't see each other for, for three or four years afterwards, but there's, there's, there's a bond that it's created in a rehearsal room. Um, that I think is, you know, in some ways is, is not like anything else, really. They're kind of like childhood friendships, I think, because they're very powerful for quite a short period of time sometimes, and then they, they dissipate. I think sometimes for leaders, the reality that everybody knows we're trying to bond, how do you therefore see that and experience that as an authentic and real and powerful process when there's a part of you that also knows there's something that you have to do or need to do mm-hmm. here? You know, I'm really curious about what you notice about that. And you know, for leaders listening to this who might need to be increasing the bonds in their team, what can they learn from how the world of theatre and bonding at speed has mm-hmm. to happen? <laughs> I think... We're very lucky in in theatre, or you know, I'm very lucky with the people that I work with. That um, everybody is extraordinarily passionate about the the thing that they're doing, um, and everybody is uh, really, really wants that you know the the product at the end of our process to be as good as it possibly can be. And you know, in a way, everybody's reputations are are on the line every time we do it. You know, every time we go out there and, and do it. You know. There's an old phrase in, in theatre that you're only only ever as good as your last job. And, you know, you've got to, that that last job will be the thing that people remember you for as you go into the next one and try to get that next piece of work. And I think the other thing that, that really helps, and, and I am, you know, a great believer in this, that my job as, as a director, really, the, the, the most important thing that I do is, is casting. 
um, and building creative teams. And I think, you know, in, in ways that many other leaders, you know, you create teams around you. And, 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 and I think that if you surround yourself by brilliant people, you really don't have to do very much, you know, and <laughs> you allow yourself the opportunity to, to feed off of everybody else in that room and to allow them to, to really do all the heavy lifting for you and make you look great. Um, so I think for me, the, the process of casting is actually a really important part of that. So what I'll generally do is those who don't know the industry, you know, you're normally you'll, you'll see I don't know, 15 to 20 people per role that you're, you're looking to cast and you'll, you'll meet people in this very strange world where you, um, there's a panel of people and it's kind of like an interview, but they have to then deliver a speech or deliver some sides, give you some semblance of this character that they've created at home. And then what I would, uh, I do, which you know, not all directors do, is I always have a kind of workshop phase after that. So we'll have a group of people that I think are good enough to do the job and we'll bring them back to do a workshop, which can be anything from, from a couple of hours to a whole day of really just playing together. You know, we play a lot of games. Uh, we do a lot of improvisation exercises. We do some clowning exercises. And then eventually we'll have a look at some of the scenes. But really what I'm doing is I'm, I'm making sure that I'm creating a group that will have a great synergy, that will work together well, that, that, that um, you know, people that I am excited to have in a room together. I'm very lucky that I, I get to handpick teams in that way, um, which I don't think, you know, everybody can do or everybody has <laughs> quite so much, quite such a pool of talent to, to choose from to do that. Um, but I think it's really, it's very important. And the same is true of, of creative teams and, and, the, and the teams that work backstage. Um, the only other thing that that is really, you know, is is really kind of unique to to our industry, I think, and to, well, to creative industries, is that um, that idea of play can be so central to what we do, and 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 I can quite happily feel like I've done a really good day's work early in a rehearsal process, and actually all we've done is play you know, not far off playground games together and, 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 and gotten to know each other and kind of, you know, there is that willingness to be vulnerable in creative industries that, that is extraordinary. One of the things that always strikes me when I'm in the theatre is how much trust there is between mm. cast and crew, um, you know, anybody involved in a production. You know, there's, there's, there's the trust that someone is going to say what I think they're going to say when I think they're going to say it. But some of those productions are, are pretty dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of some of your productions and, thinking, <laughs> gosh, you know, something something literally goes wrong there, even though that's, the you know, we're, we're all in on the gag. But yeah. if something goes wrong, th- th- there's much at stake. And you talked about reputation, the vulnerability of sharing something of yourself, the importance of humour. You know, there's so much that connects to trust. Mm. I'm really curious about not just how you build it, but if it does get broken for any reason, how do you rebuild it? Yeah, I think that that that's really tough because you know often we do talk about you know, rehearsal rooms, particularly being sacred spaces, and 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 there's a feeling that you know what happens in this room is is, is sacrosanct, is is kind of you know for us only, and. Um, and and you're it's a place to try and fail and um and that we are all in the same boat together and we're all kind of you know got each other's backs and yeah you're it doesn't happen often but occasionally when that is broken for whatever reason or even you know as simple as 
when you're being that vulnerable with one another, um, you know, something as simple as a, as a laugh in the wrong place from somebody can really, you know, make somebody um, clam up, and, and it can be quite difficult to then rebuild that trust. Um, so I think it's absolutely it's vital to to having successful productions because you know once once you've done that work in the rehearsal room you do you're right you go out and you are you put yourself under extreme danger every night and you know it sounds for those who don't work in theater it sounds a bit silly but it does feel you know it's extraordinarily um high pressure uh situation you know we're talk, talking about the play that goes wrong and you know those guys go out there in front of you know 500 people every night and um and do some really you know things that could be um, extremely dangerous if they weren't so well choreographed by you know the the, the team of stunt directors and, and and the fight directors and myself and the um, and that the stage management weren't so well prepared and that the cast didn't trust each other so implicitly and if any one of those things goes out of whack, um, it it takes an awful lot to to feel comfortable enough to to go to those places every night. I'm really struck by how someone like this listening to this might think, oh my gosh, actually there's there's not much of the work I might think were going on in a rehearsal in a rehearsal, as in mm-hmm. you're taking time to play, you're taking mm-hmm. time to connect, you're taking time to be vulnerable. You know, you might not touch a script in the whole of a rehearsal. And I'm struck by what the equivalent in different workplaces of that might be. The difference I think for what we do is I kind of I would Early in the rehearsal process, I, I, I might have whole days where you know, we are just playing and we are just getting to know each other and we are, you know, working around the script, as it were, doing that kind of contextual study. So maybe we're just discussing the play or we're, um, you know, playing with what characters might do under certain situations. Um, but then throughout the, the whole process, I will always, you know, start the day with some kind of a game um, with some sense of togetherness um, and then, and then we'll get into some really hard work and actually, you know, there is <laughs> plenty of hard work that goes on, sure. um, but I'll always find the time to come back to those things. And I guess, you know, having worked in a little bit more of a kind of uh, institutional environment, that stuff becomes, you know, once a month or once every couple of months, we'll do uh, a team building day or, or, you know, once a year or whatever. Um, or we'll uh, we'll have some enforced fun drinks on a Friday afternoon that everybody feels a little bit like they kind of have to go to and it's a little bit um, networky. And I think, you know, what I try to do is make that work fundamental to what we do. And I think that it is, you know, it, there's, there's, there's definite value in everything that I don't just spend an hour playing a game because I want to spend an hour playing the game. There's an extraordinary kind of intrinsic value that comes from that. Um, again, when I was thinking about doing this podcast, I was thinking about it and I was thinking that actually I'm not, I'm not entirely sure I am a very good leader, you know, because I, I don't tend to do much leading at all in the rehearsal room. And I think, you know, I really, most good directors, the job really is knowing when to get out of the way and the vast amount of my time in the room is spent not intervening um and i think that you know again that that thing of surrounding yourself by brilliant with brilliant people and i i let them i let them be brilliant um and my job as i see it is to 
is to intervene, you know, when I see that start to veer in the wrong direction and to just kind of just to be there to guide rather than lead. When I do a show and on the posters of the show, um, it, often it will say directed by da-da-da. What I tend to put is direction by Sean Turner. And I think that's a really distinct difference there of, you know, one feels like I've told them what to do. The other is is that steering thing, right? It's just jump, just stepping in when I when I feel it's really necessary. But yeah, just just allowing that freedom for people to to do the best work that they can do for me is so important. For me, it's what leadership is all about, mm. and the interchangeable nature of words like facilitate, guide. Mm. I'm curious around intervene. I wonder if I can take you in the direction mm. of the challenge, if it if it is a challenge, and it and it might be something that it just comes very naturally to you. So how do you go about the work of and the challenge of letting somebody down, the saying no, which I think in all aspects of leadership anywhere, in different ways, saying no or not you this time is one of the most difficult things. How do you navigate that? Yeah, in the rehearsal room. You know, when you create a room where everybody feels like they have some level of creative control over the product, which is absolutely the kind of rehearsal room that I want to to have, you know, where people can throw ideas into the mix and, and it be their project as much as mine. And, you know, I often, the best work that I've ever made is the stuff that on opening night, I sit there and I go, was that my idea or was that, who, who? you know, I don't, we genuinely don't remember where that came from because it's been so collaborative. But inevitably within that, when you give people the freedom to do that, there's a lot of, you know, not bad ideas, there are no bad ideas, but ideas that, you know, potentially, you know, don't fit with the vision of what, what we're trying to do. But I guess, you know, when there's time, I allow them to be explored and I allow the person who came up with that idea to realise that maybe it wasn't the right idea. Um, and I think it's important sometimes, you know, that, that people will take themselves down the wrong path in order to find the right one. Um, I think there's a thing that um, actors do in general often you cast them because they've they've got some sense of the of the character that's brilliant in the in the room um in the audition process and then they'll come into first day of rehearsals and they'll do it brilliantly and you'll think oh this is fantastic this is great and then they'll take themselves on like a four-week journey of going further and further away from what was great <laughs> before eventually realizing that they had it all along and 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 but you know they need to go on that journey having said that you know obviously there's Often, you know, we're working with with very strict budgets and very strict timeframes. Um, you know, normally to rehearse a, a full production, we'll have somewhere between three and five weeks to do so, um, and it's a pretty intense process. Um, and you know, inevitably, there comes a time when there just there just isn't the the time to explore that, and you do have to. Um, say look thank you but no and we're going to we're going to move on with with this path now and I think you know there's two things for that and for me it's about having spent the time before then garnering enough respect from the troop that they you know trust in you to take them down the right path and also you know fostering in them right from the very beginning a belief in your artistic vision for for what this thing will be the person I'm thinking of now is the understudy. Mm. Is that still is that still the right phrase? 
Yeah, I, I, I like to use the phrase cover rather than understudy. Cover, so just, uh, great. But, 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 yeah. What goes on for that person, for the cover, who is prepared for something they might never get to share? And how, I guess, I guess I'm thinking how similar that might be to the way that you would nurture somebody who, who you're saying no to, who doesn't actually get to be a part of the production. But then there's that nuance of it where you're part of a production, but you might never get to actually use everything that you've learned. Yeah, I'm fascinated by what what that must be like and how you manage that as a director. For me, it's so much about the the process in the rehearsal room, and for me, the process in the rehearsal room is about every voice is absolutely as valid as everybody else's voice in those discussions and those 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 opportunities to to explore. That the deputy stage manager, the assistant director, the the understudy the leading lady all have absolutely as much to to say to give value to give more kind of richness to the eventual product um as everybody else so i try to really engage and involve people um right from the outset i think the really difficult thing for the job of the understudy is staying uh match fit and staying ready throughout that run you know particularly on something like the play that goes wrong where it's it's a year's contract and you know and maybe you do have a long gap where you're not doing you're not playing that role how do you make sure it's all still there so that you can hit the ground running because you know we have previews for a reason before press night and we, we give people an opportunity to to have a run-up um and and that's you don't get that um it, it's a remarkable um skill i think to, to be an understudy and, and and a deeply underrated um thing and also you know a, a fantastic training ground for an actor i think as well so time is doing that flying thing <laughs> um we must hear your letter sean if that's okay. okay i wrote to my daughter who is um eight and a half months old now um and uh by the time this this goes out into the world, will be around nine months, I think. Um, and uh, I thought I'd write her a letter, and I, I think that hopefully the rest will explain itself. Fabulous. Well, we'll do my you. best not to not to cry as we go through. Romilly, over the last eighteen months, you've changed my life immeasurably. From the moment your mother and I knew that you were on your way, we began nine months of self-reflection and self-development. But nothing could have prepared us for the following nine. These sleepless, anxiety-ridden overwhelmed with joy days. Since you've been in my life, you have spiritually, emotionally, and materially transformed my world. And it's only just the beginning of our journey. I guess I'm writing this letter to you as a way to hold myself to account in the future. You've already taught me so much about leadership, but I have a long way to go to being the best dad I can be. And there's a few commitments I wanna make to you to ensure I keep us both on the right path. I'm gonna try and listen more and be less reactive. I have a terrible habit of offering unsolicited advice when really all I should do is listen. I've tried to temper this urge to find solutions, but I don't seem to be able to master it. Please know that when I do it to you, and I surely will, I only want to make your life happier and easier. It's not that I think I know best, and I won't be offended if you don't heed my advice. In fact, I'll be proud. I'll try hard never to measure your life against mine or anyone else's. You're on your own path, and what is right for me will not and should not be right for you too. I will always commit to helping you follow your dreams, even if they might not be my dreams. 
to give you the best chance to succeed, but never to get too forceful about it. I want to do my best to let you make your own mistakes. I'll be there to catch you if you fall too far, and I'll steer you with dignity and respect if I see you veering too far from the path you've set yourself. But there is really only one way to learn in this world. And as hard as I will find letting you fail, I know that I must. And that every failure is a step closer to your vision of success. I'll always be honest with you, even if that means telling you things that you don't want to hear or that I don't want to say. I want you to be honest with me and I can't very well ask that of you if I don't offer you the same courtesy. I want to create an environment in our relationship where you can tell me everything you desire, even if I might not want to hear it, without fear of recriminations or judgment. I pledge to always try to be present. The truth is that I'm a bit obsessive. I'm deeply passionate about what I do, and I think in some ways, it's what makes me good at it. But when the pressures of work get too much, they can become all-consuming, and I can easily forget what really matters, you and your mother. I hope you learn from my work ethic, but I hope more that you remember what's truly important. No one ever laid on their deathbed wishing they'd worked more. On that note, I will try and teach you about the things that really matter, instill in you the confidence not to sweat the petty and instead to visualise the bigger picture, to not let others drag you into insecurities or sway your opinion too readily, but also to remain open to learning from them and capable of recognising and congratulating a better idea to treat all those whose lives you touch with gravitas and nobility. Every person on this earth matters. Try not to forget that. We will both fail many times in these goals. Sometimes we'll lose sight of them completely. But hopefully one or the other of us will remain lucid enough to remember this letter and try our best to return to whatever little wisdom it may hold. Your future is so bright and I feel only luck to be able to share it with you. Thank you, Sean. Well, we just about made it. <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful letter. Beautiful. Thank you. I, I'm really struck as I was listening by we're nev never different people at work and at home. Mm. We might have different versions of ourselves we'd present, present in different circumstances. Sure. But we're it's always a blend of something that's in us. Mm. And I think you draw so much there on both the value and the challenge of translating some of say what we might do with friends or family into the workplace and and vice versa mm. the letting people fail piece yeah gosh that's hard <laughs> <laughs> um especially when it's somebody that you love and i think in the workplace there's not only the the care of people that's at play but there's also potentially consequences mm -hmm. so what will you draw on to support you in being as okay as you need to be with the failures mm. I'm so aware that every failure eventually takes you closer to to what it is you actually want and, and that you you kind of you know you need to have you need to work it out for yourself sometimes you know and um I've done that in my life uh, many many times and, and and I've only ever been stronger and I think you know it trying to to keep that in mind um, for her and I, you know in the workplace I think it's you're right it's and whilst when you're making art we put a little bit more value on 
on failing, I think, you know, and, and allowing ourselves to fail. And maybe that's because the eventual goal is good art rather than making sure our shareholders get a good dividends and things. But we're, we allow a little bit more time to, to let that happen. And one of the things you said that my guess is connects to this is you said uh, you set an intention to listen more and be less reactive. You know, failures are one of those. When something goes wrong, it's hard hard not to react. Right? Sure. Um, what do you know so far helps you to listen more, helps you to pause when everything is instinctively saying react? Mm. It's, it's so hard. And, you know, I, I put it up there right at the top because it's one of the, the things I find most difficult. Um, out of you know a, a desire to to make things better and and make people happier you know i i i really struggle with it and i don't i honestly don't know the answer um except that i will continue to try in all walks of life you know whenever somebody comes to me with you know i go out for a, a drink with a friend and they start to tell me about this this thing that's annoying them at work or in their lives and you know and i have this awful habit of of trying to to solve that problem for them when really I know nothing about it and, and I have no expertise to, to solve that problem. And, and often it will be, you know, about a field of work that I have no knowledge of. And it's just a, an instinctive thing that I, I am becoming more and more aware of. And therefore, and I think just purely by being aware that I'm doing it, um, I'm tempering it. The thing that really annoys me is that I notice when other people do it to me and it really bugs me. <laughs> and yeah, I okay. still can't do it. You know? Work in progress Definitely. for us all. For us all. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think that's, that's one of the difficult things is when we know that what we're doing is well intentioned. Mm. To hold that space in which we let things unfold rather than fix them is sure. it's challenging stuff. Yeah. And sometimes they just don't don't need fixing. You know, sometimes mm. they, you know somebody just wants to just wants to talk right just wants to air the way that they're feeling and actually you know it doesn't need a there is no solution maybe but just you know being there to listen to them is a solution in itself but let me ask you about closing as we think about closing because one of the things i'm struck by and it's it's, it's you know transparently it's an area of interest for me is how in any kind of organization we pay attention to how things close and end. And when you were talking about, again, that transient nature of the the teams and the groups that you work with in the theatre, what, if anything, do you do to mark the ends as well as the beginnings? It's such a part of the role. You're kind of always acutely aware from the beginning that that it's a contract of a certain length you know, and, and that that will come to an end and i think that makes it you know a lot easier in many ways doesn't it that that we are we're all aware um but it doesn't make it any less easier when you actually get there i think but there's not there's not many um walks of life where when you finish your final day um a a group of people stand up and applaud you <laughs> and, and tell you how wonderful you are, you know? Um, so they're very lucky, you know, we are very lucky in, in that, that we get that kind of immediate gratification from, from our audience, you know, um, at the end of each night. And, you know, it's always even stronger at the end of a run. My personal um, difficulty with, with closing is um, 
as a director that you you do the entire rehearsal process and you're incredibly invested in it and it kind of becomes the whole as I said in there a bit obsessive it becomes <laughs> your whole life exploring this play thinking about this world about these characters about how it all, all works and then you do the previews and then you do the press night and then the director at some point has to step away and let the the company and the you know the, the, the stage management team let them let it live and breathe um and you have to kind of lock in, okay, that's my production, that's all I can do, and and let them have that. Um, and as a young director, I really struggled with being able to do that. That first night at home, knowing that the show's on in a theatre somewhere and I'm sat at home doing nothing, or and I'm just thinking about what's happening on the stage um, and, and you know how they're all doing, and that constant nagging, could I have done this better? Oh, why didn't I do that in Act 3, Scene 2? You know, that kind of stuff that, that just <laughs> goes through the brain. And I think that, you know, I, as, a, as somebody who is a bit of a perfectionist about his work, it's very difficult for me to ever leave a project and let it, let it go. And Can I ask it, what helps? You know, time helps. And, you know, again, me having, having trust in the, in the company, you know, and trust that they, they will do, our th- do the thing. And I'm really struck as well hearing you talk about this in terms of your letter mm. with a 16 and 13 year old in my household. And, yeah. you know, what's, what's my preparation so that that mm. isn't as much of a shock to the system as I expect it will be when, when we're saying, okay, off you go. Golly. Now I'll be off. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to do what I was saying. I'm just going to listen and say, good luck with that. <laughs> my temptation to stay on power. Thank you. I think I'm going to need it. <laughs> Um, Sean, we're, we're going to have to let you go. I'm so grateful for your time. Before we do, what would you offer as a recommendation? Something that our listeners might read or watch or listen to that would be inspiring or useful, connected to anything that you've shared today? Um, I, I think for me, one of the, the best books on, on leadership in kind of any field, I think, but it's particularly, he, he is a theatre director, it was a book called National Service by Sir Richard Eyre. Richard Eyre was the artistic director of the National Theatre for around 10 years um, and kept an extraordinarily detailed diary of his time there. It, it takes in everything from the minutiae of the rehearsal room to the big picture of uh, you know, a lobbying government for, for more funding. And it, it's, it's a very personal, very beautiful, very wise book that I would recommend to, to anybody who's interested in leadership of any kind. Fabulous. A new one for my list. I will <laughs> enjoy a dive into that one. Sean, thank you. Thank you so much for thank sharing you. your insights, experiences, wisdom. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. You too. So that's it for today. A reminder before we go that our sister podcast, Towards Leadership, is where we chew over some of what we've heard in a bit more detail and where you'll find more leadership resource in our read, watch and listen to sections, as well as some tools, techniques, reflective exercises and thinking to support and challenge you as a leader. Whether you've been in the C-suite for many years or you're just starting out in your career with an eye on your future as a leader, there will be something there for you. Make sure you follow us to ensure you don't miss that. This is Leadership Letters, the podcast reflecting on all things leadership. See you soon.